0: My name is Sarah, I'm doing a master's in primary teaching. Um, and I'm going to read from week 23, it should be on the back of your pages. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and released Barabbas to us. A man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection started in the city and for murder. and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demands should be granted, and he released the men who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and for murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. As he led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And they followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wounds that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. One of the criminals who were hanged on it, sorry, this is the king of the Jews, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving a due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, uh, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who followed who had followed him from Galilee.
1: Stood at a distance watching these things. Imagine if you've gone to a wedding and you had a great time. People have been milling around. There's been someone playing on the ukulele. Uh, You've had scenes with photographers going around, and it's been a terrific, terrific time. You come home, and you watch the latest Netflix, and you've to the end of your series, and you've got nothing to do at the end of the night. So what do you do? You look up Facebook, of course, don't you? Mm -hmm. And when you look up Facebook, you discover that the photographers have been taking all these pictures of actually... Well, downloaded all the photographs taken on that Facebook page. So you start scrolling through the photos. Be honest. Who are you
0: looking for? <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're not really looking for the wedding couple, are you? You're looking for yourself. And over the next few moments, we're going to see whether we can see ourselves in this account what we know as the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me before we do? Thank you, dear Father, that you are indeed the Lord, the giver of life. As we come now to the pages of Scripture where your voice is heard regarding the crucifixion of your Son, please help us to identify who we are in response to this event And at the end of this time, respond in a manner that is truly pleasing to you, and we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it was only about 28 lifetimes ago in a city that we will read about today, Jerusalem, in which the Romans would crucify up to a thousand people in a day. That's a lot of people, isn't it? But on one day, one Friday in that April, at that time, about 28 lifetimes ago, they only crucified three. Three apparent criminals. But it's not the 1,000 who are especially important to us, nor is it the three who are especially important, but it's only one of those three. And it's not even that he died because millions have died. And it's not even that he died for a cause because millions have died for a cause. But what happened that day was both the greatest act of evil that has ever taken place, yet at the same time the greatest act of love that has ever taken place. And this act affects your destiny and my destiny eternally. And if you were here last week, you may recall that when we looked at chapter 22 of Luke's biography, we saw Jesus institute a meal, a meal of a particular significance. And then after that, we saw how Jesus was betrayed by one person at that meal, a man named Judas, and how he was captured after his betrayal, and then he was mocked and beaten, taken before the Jewish council. And then we also know that he was taken before King Herod. And now we come to (coughs) Pontius Pilate the Roman governor of the time. And they each see, all these people we're going to look at, they each see this scene, they each see Jesus in a particular way. And what did Pontius Pilate see? Have a look there at verse 20, or small number 20 in your outlines. It says, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And this Pilate saw Jesus as an innocent man. You see that? He didn't think Jesus committed any crime, let alone a crime that deserved death. But he was so scared of the crowd, even though he had authority over the army who could have actually brought this crowd back into, well, into discipline, that he came into a request. He handed over an innocent man in the place of a guilty man. But that's all Jesus was, wasn't he? One innocent man whose life could be expended to satisfy the crowd. That's all he was, just one innocent man. And so I want to ask you at this point, do you see Jesus like this? Could you be in this photo, if I can put it that way? It's like Pilate. You know that Jesus died for the guilty, but you're just too scared to appropriately act on this. Could that possibly be you on this campus? I wasn't here, but I heard that there was a crowd demonstrating on campus one or two weeks ago, campaigning for the yes vote in the upcoming postal ballot. I heard that they were... Well, shall we say, a little angry, making all sorts of comments and, well, fairly ugly in terms of the language that was being used. It seems so ironic, doesn't it, that if they're crying out four in five people actually believe that we should go ahead and just wondering why are they campaigning so hard if four out of five people is actually going to vote this way. But both but the campaign hard they are in, in the face of what can seem like an angry mob are we prepared to speak up sometimes? It's a bit like that. So I'm not suggesting that you need to go up in front of a crowd or something like that. However, given the opportunity in one-to-one conversation, given the opportunity in tutorial rooms, if Jesus is spoken of and blasphemed in some ways in which the lecturer says, or the, the person next to you says, well, he just didn't exist, he wasn't someone who was worth following in any sense. Are we going to speak up at that point? Do we see Jesus? Because this one innocent man who we know who happens to be innocent, but you know, in the face of an angry crowd or a, a group who are perhaps like that, and are we prepared to act right? Pilate towards Jesus is innocent, man, but he didn't act right. Like and what about the multitude? The multitude who follow Jesus, what do they see? Well, have a look at verse 26. It's small number 26. What do they see? And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And they followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. To here is a multitude. Firstly, they see a man named Simon being seized to carry the crossbar instead of Jesus. Secondly, they saw Jesus, who presumably had become extremely weak after being scourged, scourging that took place before the crucifixion, where they'd actually put a crown of thorns on his head, where they'd beaten him, mocked him, where they'd actually whipped him. And what they saw was a man so utterly frail, And vulnerable that he couldn't carry the crossbar himself. And so, filled with compassion, as you would be filled with, as I would be filled with, as we see Jesus walking towards his execution, presumably, like them, we too would be weeping, given that we see an innocent man being taken to the cross. We'd weep, wouldn't we? They wept for him. But look at what Jesus saw. As he looked at the crowds. Verse 28, small number 28. But turning to them, to this crowd who were mourning and lamenting for him, turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now Jesus saw that they should weep for themselves rather than weep for him. Weep for yourselves, Jesus not me. Why? Well I wonder whether you might discuss it on your tables for the next couple of minutes. Have a look at those words we did. Why is he asking them to wait for themselves <coughs> rather than to when you to to I'd like to the podcast thing and so like, why does he ask the crowd to work for themselves rather than give message going to the institution? <coughs> There's a table over here. Something uh, bad's going to happen. Something bad's going to bad. happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Any idea what the bad is? Or what is the bad? <laughs> would get sacked, not too, long, not too long after. Yeah, so Jerusalem would get sacked? Yeah, that's a possibly Are you getting that from some of the verses there? No. <laughs> but you certainly know that historical. Yeah, yeah, the daughters of Jerusalem. Yeah, the daughters of Jerusalem. I think the general idea of being hidden by the mountain and protected and covered, it's all saying, it, it could be that you want to flee, so that you want to be protected from the invaders. Yeah, whatever it is, it's uh, <coughs> becoming bad thing. It's going to be worse than being under a landslide. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. That's bad. That's really bad. So bad that it's not even worth having children. Before. You hear what I'm saying? Blessed are you if you're you don't have children. You're, you don't actually, uh, in contrast to the usual view that children are a blessing, this fate is so bad that it will be a blessing not to have children. Before. That's what he's saying. But what fate could that be that is so bad that you would even be at the bottom of a landslide in the facing these this invasion, invading armies of uh, the Romans. Can you think of anywhere else in the Bible that speaks of being under a landslide that is better off than another okay. uh, Who's got a full Bible? Oh, oh you have a full Bible, Johnny. This Bible arrived this morning, by the way. So, could you read from this brand new Bible that everybody can smell after <laughs> From Revelation, it's so our last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 and 17 to 17. Revelation chapter 6 verses 15 and 17. Nice loud voice. So this listen, this is when um, history as it is unfolded in an apocalyptic way in which uh, the seals are unleashed of history.
0: Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful. And everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Call to the mountains and rocks. Call <coughs> on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day
1: of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So, what's that referring to? The second coming? Or oh, the wrath of the Lamb. You ever seen an angry Lamb before? <laughs> <laughs> this is the wrath our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the judgment day. You hear the same language, the illusion? He calls out the rocks fall on us. I'd rather be at the bottom of the landslide than to face the wrath of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is nothing other than the judgment day that is on you. See what Jesus is saying? Oh yes, I'm going to the cross. Yes, I'm going to be crucified. But wait for yourselves. There is a judgment far greater. That you are going to face, you are going to be mourning something that is far worse than my death. It is your own fate. The fact that you will face the just wrath of God. So let me ask you this question to see if you're in this photo, if I can put it that way. What do you weep for when you see the effects of sin in this world? The sin that drove Jesus to the cross? What do you weep for? Now, it's the godly and right to weep for the victims of sin at its effects. But if you don't see what the cross is all about, you should weep for yourselves. But if you don't understand the coming judgment that you face apart from the cross of Jesus, you really should be very, very sad. That's, that's the inevitable judgment that you and I will face if we've not found refuge in the cross of Jesus. There's a man by the name of Dave Andrew who used to attend Ingledene Anglican Church. Anybody go to Ingledene Anglican Church? Anymore? Okay, you might have known. Uh, it's about what ten years ago or thereabouts. Certainly in the year two thousand, seven, ten years ago. I'm doing my Two thousand, year two thousand in March, uh, Dave Andrew very sadly died from brain cancer. A Christian man who was really amazing things uh, and. In his deathbed, he would have all these visitors come to him. But he always had a stack of books called A Fresh Start, written by an evangelist named John Chapman, that he wanted to give the book to. Now, as he just got skinnier and decayed on his deathbed, people would have been feeding the But he wanted them to know more, or rather, with more for the future fate that they might find themselves if they did not find Jesus if they were not Savior. And that was his longing. Do you fear the coming wrath of God upon your friends more than your own death? Jesus saw things, so speak. But what did the critics say? What did the critics say? Look at verse 32, this one the 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they <coughs> crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. In mocking himself. You see, what did the critics see? They saw Jesus as a failure. A complete and utter failure. They saw someone who couldn't save himself despite despite all they had seen or heard of him. And they mocked him. He saved others. Let him save himself. (laughs) If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. I and mean, when even one of the criminals next to him does the very same thing, he mocks him. Look at verse 39, the small 39. One of the criminals who was <coughs> railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's mocked as an utter failure. Total failure. Indeed, if you're expecting someone to take over from the Roman criminals, it did seem to fail him. Could you possibly see Jesus as a failure? Could you be his failure? And it may be that, like many, you see Jesus as a good man, a great teacher, possibly even the greatest person of all time, but that's all. If you see him that way, then in the end, he's still a failure. Because he didn't do what he claimed he could do. Even though he's the greatest moral teacher of all time, as many people can not to be, or it may be that you see him as a failure in a different sense. He's failed you because he hasn't answered your prayers to heal you of your sickness. Or he doesn't seem to have answered your prayers to heal a relationship that isn't working out for you. Or you feel like as if he's, he's let you down and not availing you of being healed from depression or anxiety. Or it just feels like he's failed us in terms of his lack of control on the world. So, I mean, Hurricane Irma doing its thing, and then you've got the people in the Middle East doing their thing, and the terrorist acts, and you see these, these crimes against humanity right now in Myanmar, and he's just appearing to let the world out of control. You see Jesus as a failure? Well, the other criminal didn't see Jesus that way. The other criminal says in verse 41, to the other criminal hanging on the cross, he says, And we indeed just live, for we are receiving... Sorry, come back before to verse 14. But the other criminal rebuked uh, the other criminal, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. You see, he recognizes that Jesus is completely innocent. The other criminal saw him as the king of his kingdom, in other words. This criminal hanging on the cross, as the one who could save him, transfer him into his kingdom, no matter what he had done. This particular criminal knew that he himself was a criminal he knew that he himself deserved death he knew that he deserved death even a crucified death but not Jesus now he knew Jesus didn't deserve death at least this criminal saw things properly as did the centurion in verse 44 verse 44 it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour That's from midday to 3 p.m. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. This man was innocent. See, even the centurion, a Roman soldier, who had a command over a hundred soldiers, that's why he's called a centurion, even this Roman soldier praises God, we're told. Indeed, he recognised that Jesus has no guilt whatsoever. None. And the implication is that what he recognises is one of the greatest acts of evil, one of the greatest acts of injustice. An innocent man dying a death he did not deserve. An innocent man dying in the place of guilty people. They at least saw more clearly than the others. And I wonder whether you see clearly like Yes, he's an But if he had eyes to see, we could see Jesus even more clearly. Far more clearly. Because of what we know of what we know as the Old Testament part of the Bible. See, back in verse 34, we hear that people are casting lots for the garments of Jesus. But this was prophesied way back in a part of the Bible known as Psalm 22, which is coming up on the screen, I hope. There it is, Psalm 22, verse 19. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This was of a suffering person in Psalm 22. In fact, it was a psalm of... David, a king, who was saying that they cast lots for his clothing. Back in Luke, in verse 36, they offered Jesus sour wine as they mocked him. Look what we learn in Psalm 69, in the next slide, verse 20. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Again, a sign of David. A suffering man. A king who talks about sour wine to drink. And also, in verse 44, we learn that there is darkness over the whole land from midday until 3pm. In a book of the Bible, known as Isaiah 13, we read these <coughs> words, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil. And uh, we keep going. What is on you here? Put it all together. Here is Jesus, great David's greater son, dying as lots are cast for his garment, as sour wine is being offered to him through all the mocking, as darkness falls upon the land as a sign of the judgment of God. Although the critics saw him as a failure, they did at least understand what he claimed to do They understood that he claimed to save his people, even though they thought he had failed. But here's the bitter irony. You see, you put this all together, you hear all the prophecies of the Old Testament. If you had eyes to see, everything depends on what it is he came to save us from. Because Jesus did not ultimately come to save us from our diseases. He didn't ultimately come to save us from ecological disasters arising out of climate change. He didn't ultimately come to save us from poverty or war or ruthless oppression or injustice or fractured human relationships. He didn't ultimately come to save us from our own emotional anxiety or depression. He didn't ultimately come to save us from mourning or crying or pain. Not ultimately. Not ultimately. These things are still with us. But Jesus ultimately came. Ultimately came to save us from a fate incalculably worse than having mountains fall upon us. Jesus came ultimately to save us from the just judgment of his Father, Which was there spoken about in Isaiah chapter 11. The only way he could save us from his wrath to come was not to save himself. That's the irony. He could have called the legion of angels to stop everything, but instead he entrusted himself to his Father who judges justly. He submitted himself to the greatest evil of all time, as he did the greatest act of love of all time. He took upon himself the judgment that you and I deserve, to save us from God's eternal wrath, So that we could have the same fate as the criminal. The criminal who saw Jesus as an innocent man. See, what happened to that criminal? Look at verse 42 of chapter 23. Verse 42 of your outlines, And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today, today, you will be with me in power. You see what's going on? The eternal destiny of every person hangs on this man who come on the cross. Do you see it? Of every person. And if you were to die tonight. Can you be absolutely certain that you too will be in paradise with Jesus? Are you absolutely certain? You can be in it. If you're not certain, you can be in it. If you place your trust in this wife who died the death that we deserve, taking upon himself the wrath of his father. And all you need to do is to Place yourself at the mercy of Jesus, just like that criminal. And if that's you, then I want to offer you an opportunity right now to cast yourself upon his mercy. Simply by praying to him, asking God to accept you, to forgive you. I'm going to read out a prayer. It's very simple. And if this is your prayer, I'd like to invite you to pray it with me by echoing it in your head and your heart to God in silence. It goes like this. It says, Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. Please have mercy on me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Please help me to live for Jesus as my King. Is that your prayer? Is that a prayer that you think you could pray now and you ought to pray now because you're just not sure like this thief, this criminal was at that time? What if it is? If this is the kind of prayer that you think you ought to pray, please pray with me now. I'll pray this prayer sentence by sentence and then you echo it in your heart to God's silence. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. Please have mercy on me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. Please help me to live for Jesus as my King from now on. Amen. mean, simply means I meant. You meant that.
0: Luke's Gospel tells us that the angels are rejoicing in heaven, even now.